This is the parable of the unforgiving servant. Then Peter came up to him, came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him as many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and the payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. But when his fellow servants saw what, he had, what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt, and because you pleaded with me. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lindsay. Um, welcome to reunion today. And uh, we're sort of, we're starting off where we left off last week. So last week we were in Matthew 18. We were talking about a shepherd uh, who lost this one sheep and leaves everything in order to go and search for this one sheep, um, which communicates for us as followers of Christ that God, in, in the form of Jesus, left everything so he could search us, search us out uh, and bring, him blo- bring us back into his flock. And in the same way, we as agents of this change in this world need to do the same. Uh, we, we search for the weak in our community. Um, we, we, we even help those that are weak in our community here. Uh, today, uh, we're, we're encountering another story, another parable that Jesus is talking about. And much like last week, this is something uh, that would have been really relevant for the people at the time. There would have been very important people, uh, similar to like CEOs or bank managers or banks in general, um, that would have uh, money to give out so that people could live, have farms. This is a very real thing. But Jesus is talking to us about forgiveness and what forgiveness actually looks like if you are a follower of Christ. But before we get there, um, this, this entire chapter is really one stream of thought that Jesus is teaching his disciples and his disciples are dialoguing with him on, on how to live as a follower of Christ. So before we get to this parable, uh, there is a chunk in between what we talked about last week and where we're getting to this week that I'd like to actually read. So I'm reading from chapter 18, Matthew chapter 18, and I'm starting from verse 15. Jesus here is talking to his disciples about how to resolve conflict amongst one another. Uh, in, in spite of the fact that uh, they might be following Jesus, we're all still broken, we're all still weak. Um, we might irritate each other, make each other angry. There's definitely conflicts 
that come up that Jesus is teaching us how to resolve here. So it says from verse 15, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained a brother. If he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, if he refuses to listen to them, tell him, tell it to the church. And if he re- refuses to even listen to the church, let him be asked to you a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly, I say to you, whatever you do. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. So Jesus here is taking us through a step-by-step process. This is how you can resolve conflict. This is how you can uh, come to unity In the body of Christ. Unity is a big deal uh, for Christ's followers. Uh, Jesus talks about this later on how the unity that we experience as the followers of Christ is one of the greatest apologetics or one of the greatest reasons why people will believe Jesus is who he says he is. The unity that we experience here is actually really vital um, to to our growth, uh, to our family. Then Peter comes along, and last week we, we encountered a question that the disciples asked, and we sort of start off this story with another question that Peter asks. He asks this in verse 21. He says, Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? This is important to understand, the, the number seven, but I'll get to that. What Peter is asking here is going through this resolution process, going through this conflict resolution process, how many times must I forgive a brother? How many times must I forgive? The number seven is pretty significant to the culture because it talked about completeness. It goes all the way back to the book of Genesis, the significance of that number. But the other reason this number is important here is that Pharisees or religious teachers of that time would tell the people you only need to forgive someone three times. That was the uh, prominent rabbinic teaching of the time. You only need to forgive someone three times, and then you can break ties with them. You can, you can treat them as an outcast, only three times. So what, what Peter's asking here is, I'll even go up to seven. I'll go up to seven times. Is that enough, Jesus? And, and, and like many times we, we learn from Jesus' teaching, he often leaves us awestruck. He responds, Jesus said to him, I do not say seven times, but 77 times. Some translations actually have it 70 times seven. Sorry, 70 times seven, which is 490 times, literally. What Jesus is saying here, we need to be very quick to forgive no matter what, no matter how many times when someone asks us to forgive them. See, we, we come to this topic of forgiveness with various temperatures. Uh, uh, in the city of Toronto right now, there's a whole bunch of people really angry that we traded DeMar DeRozan from the Toronto Raptors to the Phoenix, uh, not Phoenix, sorry, to the Spurs. There's a lot of unforgiveness there. And to be honest, I share some of that. I miss the guy. I'm going to miss him next year. Uh, I've learned over my one year of marriage, which is pretty short, that I, I've learned a lot about forgiveness through that experience. 
I'm learning now as we pack boxes that I constantly need to forgive and be forgiven uh, as we move. We come into this topic of forgiveness at various temperatures, but there are also times we come into this topic uh, pretty hurt um, and, and scars that run pretty deep. A story that came to mind as I was reading this and I was preparing this talk was the story of a lady named Corrie Ten Boom. Corrie Ten Boom and, and her family lived uh, during the time uh, of the Nazi regime, the Third Reich taking over Germany and the surrounding countries. They were taking Jewish people and putting them in concentration camps. Uh, Corrie Ten Boom's family thought that this was completely unjust. And so they chose to take action and hide Jewish families in their home. Um, unfortunately, they got caught and they themselves were sent to a concentration camp. Uh, Corey luckily survived, but many of her family didn't. Um, and, and after the entire incident, after she went back to Holland, uh, she, she went around talking about her story of all the atrocities that happened in the concentration camp. But the, the crux of her story was how God, because of how much he has forgiven her, she was able to forgive others. So she would go around doing talks in various churches, various venues. There was this one instance where she did this talk on forgiveness. And when she was done, she recognized someone in the audience this particular person in the audience, this man was a guard of the concentration camp that she was in where her family uh, was tortured and died. And this man came up to her uh, and start, started wanting to talk to her. I want you to put yourself in that situation for a second. What would you do? Don't actually shout it out, just think, think about it to yourselves. Like, what would you do in that situation? Uh, from what, all the things that you've seen, the epitome or the manifestation of the, the torture you experienced is coming up to you. Look, forgiveness can be easy. Forgiveness can be really hard. And, and as we approach uh, this parable, Jesus fully understands that. But there are three aspects of this story that I sort of want to draw out and learn from, for, and for us to learn from. First of all, in this story, we, we learn about this great debt. Uh, it says in uh, Matthew eighteen twenty three, uh, Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle one, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. 10,000 talents. We don't really understand what a talent is, but to put it into perspective for us, a talent was equal to 6,000 denarii. Denarii was the common currency that was used in the Greco-Roman world at the time. And um, one denarii was a person's wage for a whole day, just one. So this means uh, that the debtor owed the king 60 million days of labor at a day's labor's wage, or 164 years and two months of labor. Grant Osborne, who's a commentator, uh, said that, uh, it, that the 60 million denarii would be equivalent in our time to $9.6 billion. That's how much debt that this person owed. This was a great debt. 
the, the Jewish historian Josephus uh, indicated that 600 talents was the entire taxes for two regions of the time, Judea and Samaria. 600 talents. Remember, this person owed 10,000 talents. 600 talents was the taxes for two entire regions of people. This was an incredible debt. And what Jesus was trying to communicate here was that there was no way that this debt could be actually paid. We don't know how this person accumulated this debt, but what we do know is that there is no possible way that this one person could pay off this debt completely, especially considering how they made their money back then as a worker. The rightful consequence of accumulating this type of debt was also serious. We're, uh, as we continue in Matthew 18.25, it reads, And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had, and on top of that, the payment to be made. He was going to be sold along with his wife and his children. This was the consequence of accumulating this debt. This debt. And on top of that, he still owed this money. This was an impossible situation for this person, for this servant. There was no way, there's no way, no matter what he had done, that he could actually serve or pay back, pay this back. His only option was to beg for forgiveness. As we continue to read, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring to him, Have patience with me, I will pay you everything. But the reality is that both the king and him knew that he couldn't pay back everything. His only option was to try his best, work as hard as he can in order to pay off this debt, even though both of them knew that he couldn't pay this off. He did not want to leave this king, probably because this was a just king. It seemed like there were many people that owed him money. There were many people that worked under him and and, and may have loved it. He did not want to leave this king. He was completely distraught. And hopeless. The second aspect of the story that I want to talk about is this forgiving king. As we continue to read, but because the king felt compassion for this man, he forgave the debt that he was owed. Matthew eighteen twenty seven. Just like that, this king had compassion, and then the entire debt was forgiven. Just in one sentence, he felt compassion, the debt was gone. And again, for us to understand here what that means, this is is essentially saying a bank that was owed $9.6 million just forgave that debt. This is as controversial a decision at that time as it was now. The repercussions for this king was that he would have this reputation to be very flippant with people that owed him money. He, he could, if he forgave this large a debt, why would anyone take him seriously in terms of the other debt that he was owed? This is a very risky, controversial, countercultural type of decision that he made. Just imagine just all of a sudden being forgiven your mortgages or whatever debt you owe. Can you imagine what that would feel like just to be released of that debt, to be finally free? The reality in this situation was the only way that this servant could have gotten freedom is is if this king did this. He would have been bondaged by this debt his entire life and maybe his kids to follow. The only way this man could have experienced freedom in this life is if this king had mercy on him. 
That's the only way. Imagine what kind of a relief that would have been for this guy. But the third aspect of the story is this unforgiving servant. Continue to read. But when the same servant went out, he found one fellow servant who owed him a hundred denarii, and he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. The first servant owed 10,000 talents, which was equal to 6,000 denarii. This servant was owed 100 denarii by another servant. The disparity between what was owed to one and the other is huge. The second servant was barely owed half a year's worth of labor, yet he was so persistent to get that back. And... If everything else didn't happen, this is, this is fine. Like, he is still owed that hundred denarii, and he should get it back. But what he did was very different from what the king did to him, which makes this decision of him to be really wrong. So the second servant, it continues to read, So the f- fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But the first servant, uh, servant, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay his debt. His reaction, this, this servant's reaction to a plea of mercy was completely different from the king's. The king showed compassion and completely forgave this debt. Yet the second servant, having experienced that, could not do the same for a, a fraction of the amount that he was owed by someone else. So the story continues. Um, When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all your debt because you pleaded with me. And should, should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. That debt was returned because of his lack of mercy towards his fellow servant. Because he didn't show the same mercy that was shown to him. Not even the same mercy. He, he didn't show a fraction of the mercy that was shown to him. Jesus concludes... So, so also my heavenly Father to, uh, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Man, this is an in- intense story. Um, and like I said, we all come to this aspect of forgiveness with various life experiences. I can't even uh, begin to fathom what some of you might have gone through and have had to forgive or struggled to forgive but Jesus' teachings are very clear here what we can learn from this is that we forgive because we have been forgiven Jesus calls his followers to a radical uh, to radical forgiveness it says in Mark 11 Jesus says this and whenever you stand praying forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your Father who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. See, the situation in Mark, there is no repentance, there is no asking for forgiveness. There is this sense where when we approach God, 
we, are, we need to ask and, and, and forgive others that have trespassed uh, against us. And this can be very hard. I think in our day and age, one of, one of the situations where uh, we get repeatedly hurt uh, that I've noticed uh, in my life is when there are people uh, that love someone going through addictions. It can be a very hard journey having to forgive over and over again when people relapse or people make mistakes. Um, there's this magazine that I got to read regarding this issue and, 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 and this, this topic of forgiveness comes up on this road to recovery. Uh, it says this, although finding forgiveness as your loved one heals from addiction is incredibly difficult, forgiving is the healthiest thing for you to do as you need to heal too. Even though this can be incredibly hard and Jesus calls us to sometimes an impossible task to forgive, it's actually good for us. The one thing I really appreciate about my faith, uh, even as I was exploring when I was young in my faith, is that when, when, when God gives us rules to follow, there's, there's usually reasons for it. Um, and as we begin to explore those reasons, we, we further emphasize why we're following these rules. And th- that's such a great experience. I, I love our God that knows our human experience enough to guide us well through it, like a good shepherd. C.S. Lewis adds to this, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. But when I fail to forgive, I am shackled to the evil which has been done to me. I cannot move forward. How free I am is invariably tied to how much resentment I hold on to. Jesus calls us to a radical, Jesus calls his followers, all of us, to to a radical forgiveness of others, especially when they ask for forgiveness. This story in Matthew, we encounter... uh, People that are asking forgiveness, both the servants ask for forgiveness. And what Jesus is saying is if you don't forgive when someone asks you, your Father God would do the same. And, and, and that's, that's something difficult to wrestle with, but that's what Jesus is teaching here. The story here emphasizes that we are asked to forgive. When someone asks to for, uh, for forgiveness, we must forgive. And I want to clarify, forgiving is different from forgetting, and it's also different from trust. We must freely forgive. That doesn't mean we automatically have this trust, um, especially when we've been hurt. That can take time. But I I often hear this cliche being told to me, you know, I, I, I will forgive, but I won't forget. And that's fine if you actually mean that. Don't hold on to resentment and unforgiveness. Don't use that phrase as a cop-out for not actually forgiving. There's so much health that comes from letting go that we can learn. But why do we forgive? The second thing we learn here in the story is God forgives us our enormous debt. When Jesus teaches his followers how to pray, he says this, and, and he says this, God forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. In Matthew six twelve. The good news of the gospel is we were all debtors to God, each and every single one of us. And not only were we debted for the things that we did on this earth, we were debted to an eternal death that we could not save ourselves from, no matter what. 
There's nothing that we could do. So what God does in response is he sends his son to live the perfect life, die on the cross, rise again from the dead, so that if we believe in him as our savior, we no longer pay the penalty of our debt. Our debt is completely forgiven, just like that. Not just the things that we do on this earth that we ask for forgiveness for, but the eternal death that we don't have to experience because we believe in a Christ that's risen from the dead and defeated death altogether. (laughs) This gospel is so controversial, and in fact, it irritates people. I've spoken to a few of my friends that are Muslims and Hindus, and they don't get this. They don't get that this debt was just taken away. This is the most radical uh, gospel of forgiveness that this world has ever seen. That That a God that loves you so much would take away the entire debt by taking it upon himself. Our God, our Jesus, is the greater king because he did that all for us. He did so much for us. And it's with this knowledge, it's it's with this understanding that we can now, we're now empowered to forgive. The third thing I'd like us to learn here um, is that Jesus, through his spirit, gives us strength to live out what God calls us to. I, I, and again, I, sometimes I feel inadequate to talk about this because I haven't been hurt dramatically, and I'll be very honest about that with you. But our Jesus, ha- even on the cross, what he, says, uh, what, what he says to God is, God, forgive these people that are torturing me, that are nailing me on this cross, that are embarrassing me. Forgive them, for they know not what they do. And it's fine to think like, you know, Jesus is the son of God. He has special powers. But the truth is, Jesus actually sends his spirit for us to live out all of these things. Um, I want to read, um, I want to read from Romans 8, 5 to 6. It should be on the screen. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set your minds on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace friends we gain a great peace when we inherit the spirit of God we don't have to do this on our own and again this is so controversial to every other worldview because everything else teaches us you need to do this this and this in order to get to God or you need to do this this and this to be a good person and then maybe just maybe After you die, if your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, maybe you'll go to heaven. This is a radically different gospel, friends. This gospel is saying you have been forgiven your debt, but now the Spirit of God is in you that will empower you to live like Jesus did. We don't have to do this on our own strength. So for those of us that are struggling with forgiveness, know this truth. Um, we also read in Galatians five sixteen to 25, but I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, 
enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this. Friends, unforgiveness and restlessness and anger, they're not fruits of the Spirit. But uh, if you are led by the Spirit, you are, uh, sorry, um, I, I warn you as I warned you before that those who do these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, God, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh. We no longer are chained to need to feel resentful. We are free from that too. Not only are we free from the things that uh, we are indebted for, we are also free from living the life uh, that we used to live in the flesh in our own strength. We inherit the fruits of the Spirit. And this is great news for us, friends. We don't have to do it on our own strength. In 2 Peter 1, 3-4, it says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promise, so that through them you may become partakers in this divine nature, having escaped from the corruption of this world because of, sin, because of sinful desires. We don't have to do it in our own strength. When we feel that we cannot forgive, God will give us his strength if we pray and ask. I talked about this, this story of Corey Ten Boom and being approached by this officer that was very likely part of a team of officers that tortured his family. She experienced the death of her own sister at this concentration camp. I, I want to spend some time today to actually read from an excerpt of that experience for her. Uh, and I, I invite you to imagine yourself in this situation as I read. She says... Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. And he said, a fine message for a line. How good it is to know that all, all, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly about forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. I know that God has forgiven me of the cruel things I did, he said. But I would like to hear from you, from your lips, Furline, again. Will you forgive me? The hand was stretched out. And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again been forgiven, and I could not forgive. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her entire slow, terrible death simply for asking? It could have been many seconds that, I, that he stood there, hands held out. But to me, it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message of God's forgiveness has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had a home uh, in Holland of victims. I was with victims of Nazi brutality. 
Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness and remained invalids. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And as I stood there in the coldness clutch, with the coldness clutching my heart, I remembered, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that. Forgiveness is an act of the will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Help, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. God, you supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible, incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into the one joined hands with me. And this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard, the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And she ended with this. Can you forgive? No. I can't either. But he can. I don't know what your life experiences are. I want to invite the worship team to come up as, as, as I pray for you guys. And believe me when I tell you, I, I completely understand if I can understand the things that you're going through. But Jesus can. And he calls his followers to a radical, radical forgiveness that we may not be able to explain on our own. So my prayer for you guys that as, as we go out, as we interact with one another in our MCs, I know MCs can be very difficult things. We experience what family really is like. If you bear resentment to any of your brothers and sisters, may I implore you to seek their forgiveness. And if someone asks you, be quick to forgive, friends. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you that you uh, are a mighty God. I thank you, God, that we can forgive and we have the strength to forgive. Lord, because you forgave us not just of the things of this world, but the, the world after. Lord, we can experience communion and friendship with you and family with you because of what your son has done for us on the cross. So may we be quick to forgive, Lord. May we not hold on to resentment in an unhealthy way. And Jesus, as Jesus, as Jesus commanded us, may we be quick to forgive those who have hurt us. Lord, we thank you, God, that you give us the strength that we do not do this on our own. Um, Lord, I, I thank you that you've given us these parables as examples of how we should live, but you do not expect us to do it without your strength. So we ask you for your strength, Lord, to live as you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer, I invite you to come forward. There are a few of us that are here to pray with you, uh, but I'll let the worship team lead us from here.